0: I'm Jean and this is Perfect Flow. I'm a New Zealand-based athlete and coach focused on optimizing performance, health, and well-being. While I have a professional background in biomedical engineering, I've chosen to follow my more immediate passions for running, endurance, adventure, movement, nutrition, lifestyle, community, psychology, and personal growth. My goal in starting this podcast is to connect with bright minds to extract the information I need to live a life that makes sense and feels good, and share those conversations with others. Apart from your favorite podcast app, the best places to follow my work are perfectflow.nz, genebeverage.nz, and perfectflow on Facebook. Hi, and welcome back to Perfect Flow. So many of you will know I moved to Wellington recently and it's been an absolute blast. Not only is the training that I want to do for trail running really convenient down here but also the community is mad keen on adventure running. Sometimes just mad I think. And after running with a number of these guys I thought I should definitely get some of them on just to hear about their enthusiasm for long trail runs and the kind of things that they get up to in the Wellington region. So Today I'm speaking with Tim Sutton. He's a very fit runner down here in Wellington and is very keen on some of these longer adventure runs and also some longer multi-sport stuff. We talk a lot about SKs. Uh, If you're not sure what an SK is, you will definitely know what that is by the end of this episode. And I actually took my first trip to the Tararuas on the weekend and we did the Jumbo Holdsworth loop which is a really popular loop down here in Wellington and there's also a race on that loop that you may have heard of and it was great but we got to experience the rough side of the Tararuas also that is the the wind and on one day it was super windy and the other day was just blissfully calm and so that was a great experience that I had just after recording this episode with Tim uh, late last week was when we recorded. So I really appreciate the, the points he's making about the weather in the Taruas and why it makes many of these uh, runs like the SK so challenging. And because they're so challenging, they're also so highly revered. So yeah, I speak to Tim about uh, these SKs and the, the good and bad experiences that come from trying some of these longer adventure runs. And we also talk a little bit about adventure navigation, which is something I'm always happy to get into. So I hope you enjoy this conversation with Tim Sutton. Tim, thanks for coming on Perfect Flow. It's nice to meet you, and hopefully I get to know you a little bit better over uh, the next wee while. this is the first time that it's been... Actually, no, I I have done one where I haven't met the person at all, but... Um, yeah, one of the first. It's pretty unusual to meet someone for the first time, but yeah, I've just been seeing a lot of your adventures uh, mainly through social media, and I thought, man, I've got to, uh, got to say hi to this guy because there's a lot of action going down here in Wellington. So I'm relatively new to Wellington, and there's a lot of action that unfortunately hasn't been the most social year or two years, has it? So yeah, tell me what what brought you to Wellington? How long have you been here?
1: So, I grew up in Wellington. i um I was born here and spent my childhood here, uh, mainly around the eastern suburbs, um, grew up sailing um, rather than running, I came to running later on and um, went away to palmy and over to Australia for a little little bit, but um. Have always been drawn back to Wellington, um, mainly mainly because of the sea and um, and the hills, um, and we're, we're not far from adventure.
0: Yeah, it is amazing how close it is to all sorts of activities, and it's not just running. But I've been so impressed with the mountain biking. Um, you see people just riding off to some pretty cool and pretty hard trails, but just from downtown.
1: Yeah, you you can you can uh, get quite a lot into a commute. Um, on your way to work or, or on your way home Now we've got an amazing trail system and, and it's, it's only getting better um, yeah, I, I think I'm, I'm still discovering trails even though I've been out on them for the last last couple of decades um, my, my background before running was was actually multi-sport so um, I, I did a lot of mountain biking um, and that, that kind of got me into the trail running and then, then into the bigger hills
0: yeah cool do you know what an sk is an sk (laughs) yeah (laughs) i've heard of it what is an sk what what is an sk for those who are uh new to this
1: so in an sk uh S, s stands for Scormans, and the k stands for kaitoki and now it's it's basically um it's sort of written into the folklore of, of mountain running um, history in, in New Zealand. Um, but until, oh, I think it was back in 2014, I hadn't really heard of it, and most people wouldn't have heard of it. Um, and basically it's a traverse from from what used to be Scorman's Hut, uh, way up the north end of the Tararua mountain range, uh, near... The Ekatahuna where the Mangatonoka River comes out, and it's and that's a solid like hour
0: and a half drive from Wellington. Uh,
1: uh yeah, two half. two two and a bit, bit hours drive. So okay. when when you're driving from Wellington, you're sort of looking over your left hand shoulder, um, and the whole way up, you're looking at this big mountain range, and you you don't actually see the parts that you're going to be running on because they're they're further in. Um, and so it's. Um there's there's three uh routes, um main routes. Um the foremost being the main range, which basically follows the spine of the Tararoa range from Putara um, all the way down to Kaitoki where it comes out in the hut. Um and it's a little under eighty K um but there's there's a good deal of hills in between.
0: Yeah, and some some rough sections as well. If I've seen so I've seen some of the routes, I haven't done it, but I've seen some of the routes, and are there some bits where you're just on the ridge line and it's just a route. It's it's pretty gnarly, yeah. So so
1: the northern section is all untracked. So uh, you've got probably about an hour's run into Hereupi Hut, which is the first hut on the route, and then there's a bit of a track um, up onto the tops from Herapai hut and then for well, the next say 10k um, it's all untracked tops there's a footpad um, from people going through there um, but you're pretty much um, doing all of your own navigation um, if it's clagged in um, then it's um, yeah, it's, it's definitely a challenge it adds to the challenge and then once you get onto the track, it's still. Um, I've I've heard uh, talked about in Tiara uh, through walkers um, conversations, and the Tiara and uh, usually comes out top as uh, one of the gnarliest parts of, the length of New Zealand walk.
0: Um, yeah, yeah, I, I can imagine. So what fascinates me about this, SK phenomenon, is just how organically it's kind of emerged from from the folklore into um, like something that's quite central to at least the ultra and adventure running stuff in New Zealand without anyone to guide it there is that your, your understanding of it uh there initially there were there there
1: were was no real guidance. Um, There's been an SK book um, that has gathered stories of tramping the SK um, and it wasn't until uh, 1995, I think, um, when Colin Rolfe, um, whose name a a lot of people will recognise, set off from Putara with, I, I think he had um, sausages, beans and porridge and a couple of bananas for breakfast. <laughs> and set, set off uh, with some mates um, from Putara and emerged in Kaitoki, um with different support along the way. Uh, 22 hours, 50 something. It was the first time it had uh, been done in under 24 hours um, and basically um, showed that it could be done. And so since then, um, there was actually a big gap between Colin Rolfe doing it and anyone else having an attempt at at running it. Um, we had... Uh, Gary Goldsworthy, who actually came before him, um, who I'd, I've had had a few online discussions with Gary, um, and he came in 25 hours 30, I believe, um, and he didn't run a step, um, so he said if, if it had occurred to him to run it, um, he probably would have run, but he was a tramper, and um, so then once once Colin had done it, um, there, there was a big gap, and then a couple, um, Lawrence Bigcock and Chris Swallow, uh, decided that it needed to be resurrected as a run. And so with a bit of support, they um, managed to tick it off in under 24 hours. And since then, um, Chris put a lot of effort into trying to create a bit of a groundswell behind it so um, we started a 24-hour club and um, fairly unofficial um, to begin with Um, but since then um, with another Chris, Chris Martin who's a bit of a godfather of uh, local adventure running Through his energies um, and Chris Swallow's energies, this club was um, initiated um, with certificates uh, given to anyone that could
0: break the 24-hour limit on the main range. Cool. I see. So, yeah, there there are some um, kind of more more standardized recognition um, coming into the play now. Is there even some uh, story going back further that... Uh, some I think this is probably more the trampers uh, would try to leave work as soon as possible on Friday and get back before Monday. I've I've heard this rumor. Can you?
1: That that's right. I think um, it was back in the early '60s the route was first uh, first postulated um, as as um, a challenge, and there were a, I. I sorry my, my uh, memory for the names um isn't, isn't that good but the there was a bit of a race between trampers um to as exactly as you said catch the train out and then a taxi to uh, the putara road end um and a wander up to the herabai hut and
0: where do they catch the train to
1: uh Iketahuna, i believe and then uh yeah it's probably about an hour's drive from mecca out into um out into the sticks um and then turn up but i think a lot of the trampers were probably public servants um and so they'd turn up at their um their desk jobs <laughs> on a monday leary-eyed um, but having having traversed the length of a range
0: yeah, I can imagine the excitement for the colleagues on Monday morning, wondering whether they've made it back or not, and how much how much sleep was taken and what shape they're going to be on. Uh, such laughs. Yeah, so the, like the running scene at the moment, um, it just comes up all the time whenever there's a social run. Yeah, so so-and-so is going to do an SK next month, um, or so-and-so attempted it and had to bail. Uh, so it's, it's really built itself, this this kind of prestige and recognition and, yeah, it's interesting uh, what kind of, of these fastest known times, I guess, um, do that. I guess it's close enough to town that enough people have attempted it and it's, it's really got quite a following now.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, with, there's, there's numerous attempts every year now. I think um, back when I first did it was 2015, I, I first did the main range. And at that stage, as a run... You had Colin Rolfe, you had uh, Chris and Lawrence, and then uh, Grant Guides and Matt Bixley uh, went as a team. Um, And nobody else had done it, so there wasn't a lot of um, information as far as splits, um, as far as the way that you approach something like that as a run. And so it was actually quite fun doing the doing the research because you had to really dig deep um, on, on the interwebs to um, get the sort of information that that took a bit of the edge off the fear of um, <laughs> going into um, something that was was pretty unknown at the time. Um, and then since then, um, I think the 2015 um, there were quite... A few successes the following summer, and that's the, the successes were largely due to the fact that it was the local um, mountain running community um, who had, had caught on to this, and they'd all spent quite a bit of time in the Tararua, and so they'd, they'd ticked off a lot of the unknowns. Um, and now, since then, there's oh, I, I don't know what the numbers are, but there's, there's quite a few attempts every yeah and the successful attempts to unsuccessful attempts are getting closer to fifty fifty as as people try it, which is really cool. It's, and and people people quite often will go back um, having had a, an unsuccessful attempt the first time and um, to to take it on and and come out successful.
0: Yeah, it is pretty hairy up on those those ranges. It's also one of the windier parts of the country, so I imagine it's pretty unlivable when the conditions get really bad on those those exposed tops.
1: Yeah, it's it, 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 can, it can be brutal. <laughs> it's it's you've the one of the big things um, with with an SK is the bailout options are fairly minimal. And um, the ones that do exist, uh, you've still got a six or so hour run out um, if you want to get off the tops. so um, it's it's a very committing route. Um, I think the the tarua range, I think the number is um, has, has 80 fine days a year um, where it's not blowing a gale. Um, and so, um, quite often it's not a case of picking a day and saying this is when I'll do it and then do your training and taper to a day um, you're basically watching the watching the forecasts watching the long term forecasts and um, saying oh that looks like it could be it could be a go um, and then uh, making things work out so that you can go with the good weather because when yeah as you say when 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 the weather rolls in, it's a place, the tops are a place you don't want to be.
0: Have you had any hairy experiences in the Tauruas?
1: Uh Yeah, I've, I've, I've had a couple. Um, I guess I, I had a go um, at doing the 1500s, um, which there, there's um, a bunch of 1500 metre peaks in the range. Um, and on my second attempt i I'd picked a weather window um I'd been watching for that big high um the the general rule of thumb is to wait for a southerly to roll on through and um then jump jump in on the the high that follows through after it because you've usually got maybe a twenty four hour window before the um the gale force northerlies kick back in. Um, and so I'd seen seen one of these southerly systems come through um i went up to Pūtāra and it was actually it was still howling um through the eaves of the the bat little um schoolhouse that you can stay in up there right so i think we, we i was i was at the the Putara base camp uh which was an old schoolhouse uh, it was um, at the time it was owned by Tawa College and I believe that um, some local farmers now operate it as um, a, a lodge um, that you can hire out. And anyway, the the wind was whistling through the eaves all night. Um, knew that this good weather was meant to be rolling through um, but I'd, I'd set myself, um, I think it was... Uh, midnight start or maybe possibly a one o'clock start anyway started started out from putara um, and you could you could really hear the wind up high Um, and it's always always very funny going into that track um, knowing that you've got this whole mountain range ahead of you Um, it's you very quickly find yourself feeling pretty isolated Um, especially in the dark, Um, dawn's another thing. Um, But anyway, I arrived up at Herapai Hut, which is basically on the spur that delivers you up onto the tops. And I'm outside listening to this wind, um, filling my bottles for the next um, however many hours. And all of a sudden the door opens, Herapai Hut, this must be one or two o'clock in the morning. And... Somebody, somebody uh, figure wanders out into the dark and then another figure wanders out into the dark and then there's a whole lot of people around me. And it was actually a, a bunch of Wellington runners who were planning um, SKs for the next morning. Um, and they'd had um, a couple of them, Mark and Marta, had, um, headed up onto the main range and uh, turned around at Herapai um, because it was too heinous um, rain coming in sideways um and anyway i sort of thought well i'm i'm here now so may as well push on until it's um until it's no fun anymore um and i the moment i got above the tree line i was into all of my storm gear um the the rain was coming in sideways and and ice cold um and every time you got onto a, an exposed bit of ridge, you're basically holding onto scrub leatherwood and tussock to um, to hold you onto the, the hillside. Um, and there's because this this section's all um, totally untracked. Um, it's pretty slow going at night in those sort of conditions because um, you really need to make sure that you've got the nav right. Um, cause lots of um, false spurs that, that um, want to lead you out and so I ended up um, getting up to the top of East Peak which is um, probably the first top of the first big climb and there's a big dip down between East Peak and West Peak into sort of a leather wood riddled saddle um, but it's not a direct dip um, it's, uh, there's quite a few dog legs and so in the in the the gale force winds and the rain and all that sort of thing, I'd been through there a number of times and so I I, I should have been more on top of the navigation, but um I knew that there was a, a dog leg at first so I pushed pushed on a little bit too far past where I should have dropped out into this saddle. And all of a sudden I found myself in really steep country off trail in um dense leatherwood. Um, with the rain pouring down <laughs> must have been about three o'clock in the morning um, i was also sick because <laughs> i i had a bug that i'd uh, convinced myself i'd gotten over um, and so rather than uh, back pedaling and and taking myself to a known point i decided okay the ridges across that way I reckon I can bash my way there. <laughs> and if you've ever been in, uh, in Tararoa, Leatherwood, um, you know that this was probably not the, the sanest of decisions. And so I spent probably um, a good half an hour, three quarters of an hour, bashing my way through Leatherwood, getting into steeper and steeper country. Um, only half sure that the the ridge was off to
0: to my left where i was heading um did you feel like you had been just kind of you'd been just losing so much you'd been losing every battle at that stage that you had to take a risk to get to catch back up to where you well is that like the crazy logic that's going on at that point
1: yeah i think think the logic is going going backwards is time um whereas actually going backwards probably would have saved me a lot of time (laughs) but um once once you actually get into the leatherwood and you commit yourself um going backwards becomes pretty much as hard as going forwards um so anyway eventually i i gained regained the ridge and uh battled through the rest of the night and with dawn um along dundas ridge um came the good weather um and it's actually amazing wearing wearing all of your your storm gear wearing wearing your Synthetic puffer and and um, having that that sunlight all of a sudden start to dry things out and you start steaming and all of a sudden the world doesn't look like such a bad place. <laughs> um, yeah, and so that that was that was one hairy moment I guess um, on the on the tarn sk. So there's you've got the main range, but then you've got the tarn, which is probably to my mind my favourite of the three SKs, the Main Range, the Tarn and the Valleys. The Tarn, um, whereas the, the Main Range basically follows tracks um, pretty much as soon as you hit Way and the TRR trails. The Tarn SK follows the Eastern Tops. Um, and this section, basically, all the way from Putara until you hit Jumbo Peak, um, sort of half the way down the range, is totally untracked. And it's, it's got some amazing clamber sections, um, sections, some, some fairly exposed little clambers. Um, and so, to, to me, it feels like much more of a, a big mountain um, mission and you've you're a lot more reliant on your your own navigation rather than following trail markers and so i was um actually no i think think this was probably on my my first um attempt at the 1500s um which follows the same route down the eastern range because that's where most of the 1500 meter peaks are and i ended up um perfect visibility so it was actually it was one of the hottest days of summer, and I ended up on one of the fifteen hundred meter peaks, which is called North King. Um, you've got North King, Middle King, South King, and climbing up North King from the north, um, heading down the range, is um, pretty sedate. It's it's uh, just a, a good wander up a hill. And then you get to the southern side, as with a lot of the peaks in the Tararoa range, the southern side has been hit by all the storms, all the freeze-thaw um, goes on on the south sides, and so they're a lot more gnarly. And um, so I was following what I thought was the footpad. There's a footpad pretty much all the way down,
0: um, even the untracked tops. Um, and there's just enough traffic i guess there's some hunters in there as well
1: yeah yeah a lot of trampers will will go out that side as well um you've got a few bivvies along that way that you can emergency bivvies that you can use um but um after tarn ridge hut there's no um reliable hut water so you're you're basically collecting water from tarns um and treating it um and so so i i was following off off mid-king it, it, gets, it gets quite steep on the south side as I was saying and um, I was following what I I thought was uh, the foot pad and the other thing with these uh, peaks um, getting getting a lot of weather is they get a lot of runoff and <laughs> so what I thought was the foot pad was actually probably just um, where, where water had um, run off fairly regularly and so I started following that down i guess i probably just wasn't concentrating as much as i should have been um i'd I'd been going for probably a good 12 hours or so um and the further i went down the steeper it got and it started getting more and more exposed um and i got to a point where it's like well it kind of looks like there might be a little bit of of a footpad down there, but it 's a two meter jump <laughs>
0: wishful thinking
1: yeah yeah and 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 again uh, in in hindsight and I guess probably um a little bit of an experience um i I, I should have turned around and had another go at it, um, but instead of turning around, I decided okay well i 'll just jump down to that ledge, um, and so I jumped down to this ledge. Um, and it was good, good two meter drop and um, no real holds to get back up. So, in jumping down to this ledge, I'd kind of committed myself to going further um, and ended up um, getting to the point where there was really um, nowhere else to stand. And you could see the, the ridge off to the left, the main ridge, and I could tell that
0: I was definitely not in the right spot. <laughs> and uh, that that moment of realization yeah <laughs> it's just like it's all too obvious you can't keep telling yourself your own story any longer no
1: no there's the ridge and that that's, that's where i want to be <laughs> and i'm not there um and and so i'd kind of committed myself to going this way there was no real way of climbing back up and and so um the only way to get across was this really sketchy looking scree face. Um, not not the sort of scree that you'd like to run down because it, it basically got steeper and steeper the further it went down below me till um, it, it got vertical. Um, and so it was probably only about four metres of this this scree face, but um, it was just steep enough that it wanted to move with you and so i ended up starfishing myself against the scree face to get more friction um <laughs> basically spread my weight as much as i could and i i, I don't know that must must have looked like a starfish trying to suck my way across the ocean floor but <laughs> um basically slowly maneuver my way across the scree face. And the, the relief when I, um, when I reached up and grabbed solid rock um, on on the way back up to that ridge was, um, yeah, immense. And since then, I haven't really got myself into that sort of um, situation. I think it was a good good learning experience. Um, you can be told so many times, um, but um, when, when you do something wrong it's um yeah good way of learning <laughs> as long as you come out the other end yeah do, do you take a, a plb with you yep yep pretty early on we bought a family plb um when when we realized that this was a thing that i was into um so i've a- always had a plb um i think that it's it's a no-brainer now because it, it takes the search out of search and rescue and in saying that i i think that it's um some people, some people make a, a bad decision on the weather um, just because they've got a PLB. Um, so, in my mind, having that PLB, it's um, it's basically worst case scenario. So, um, I'm not gonna go go out on a bad weather forecast just because I've I've got this this emergency button in my bag.
0: Yeah, I imagine if you're seriously in the middle of nowhere and there's really strong winds, they're having they're not gonna be able to pick you up fast if you no. you hurt yourself and can't get yourself out
1: no a, a lot of the time um and i, I think we recently there was um a tramper um in the last couple of weeks i think it was that um got into trouble um basically over on part of the eastern range um went in with a, a bad forecast um and um, got into trouble, um, lost, lost the track and um, set off the PLB. Um, but it was a good 12 hours before the, the search and rescue team could get in there um, to help him. And, and it could be longer with the tarara, like sometimes the wind closes in for days um so so a lot of the time with with the planning um it's also looking at the the 12 or 24 hours after you expect to be out as well um because if something goes wrong um which when you're running there's much more um likelihood of rolling an ankle um or um things coming unstuck um you you want to give yourself a bit of a buffer with the the weather
0: it's been really interesting to me to follow the inclusion of navigation into uh, these endurance and, uh, yeah, fastest known times. Uh, of course, I come from the orienteering background, so, um, yeah, I love the navigation aspects. And uh, I've been really excited watching these two worlds collide uh, because as people seek a tougher and tougher challenge, you inevitably end up going off trail. And so, a lot of the people who I'm, I'm running with around Wellington at the moment are all, like, surprisingly skilled with the navigation. So maybe not doing the kind of precise finicky orienteering navigation, but just the average competency of people who want to do long runs. The like average competency of their navigation is always exceeds my expectations. So, are you doing a bit with a, a topo map um, whenever you get the chance?
1: Uh, yeah, I'm. I'm actually in the middle of planning um, an afterwork work gain at, at the moment. Um, so um, I think go, going into cool is that one of these uh, hut valley orienteering. Yeah,
0: that's that's right. Ones. Oh, that's so cool. Nice. Uh,
1: an eastern suburbs or Mir- Miramar South Coast one. Um, uh, it's it's. I think um, go, going into getting into the hills uh, got me more interested in the na- navigation. I started off with a um, a GPS. Um, back before phones had um, GPS software on them, um, but I've I've never been that reliant on phones either. Um, they, like technology can fail you, <laughs> and so a, a map and compass has always been that fallback. So early on, I, I figured that you you really want to um, have some at least some basic map and compass skills to begin with, and then. You spend a bit of time off trail and you start to get a feel for the land and noticing features and all that sort of thing and i guess the i've always been attracted to uh the challenge of something new i think that's for for me that's what the sk was um i'd only ever done uh, local trail and mountain races um Fairly, fairly short distance and in comparison I think my longest run would have been um, the terror mountain race uh, which which takes you up and over the southern crossing and that, that was about five hours um, and and so um, it was basically needing to learn a, a, a lot more about the range and then um, the skills that come with that and having having done the SKs and um a few other bits and pieces in there it's it's attracted me more into the off trail stuff and getting down into the rivers and following an un, untracked spurs and all that sort of thing and the and the more you do the more experience you get, the more you you get a feel for um for reading country um and the more
0: you want to learn <laughs> yeah that's cool there are there are baby steps with adventure navigation just bit by bit, going a little bit further off the trail for longer and longer distances. Where's your favorite place for doing um, kind of off-trail topo-map navigation?
1: Off-trail stuff? Um, I think that the closest to here is um, probably the Rumataka. Um, R- Rumataka range, is, I think it's... Uh it's said to be the youngest range in New Zealand, and so it's also falling down the the, the quickest um there's There's a lot of exposed crumbly grey wacky in there um some gnarly streams um nice bouldery streams, waterfalls, and plenty of stuff to go and find. Um, and a lot of the bush, bush is very dense and so um, you've got to have a compass out the whole time if you're um, following ridge, ridge lines and spurs um, lot, lots of spurs to try and fool you off the, off the ridge line um, and so yeah it's a it's a 50 minute drive from Wellington um, there's also the, uh, the Eastbourne Hills um, once you get out past the trails, you you get up. Um, if you head up Gollen Stream, there's there's a whole lot of spurs and stuff that you can go and play on, in there. Um, but yeah, I do like the challenge of, of bush navigation. Um, it adds, adds a whole other dimension when you can't see far ahead of you. Um, you've got to be real um, pay, pay pay attention to the subtleties of curves and um, slopes. Did you do Godzone this year? No, I've never done a Godzone. More more out of a, the financial commitment than anything else. Um and and the fact yeah, that no, I've, totally I've got, a, yeah. got a young family. Um, so um no, it's it's definitely on my list um,
0: further on down the down the track. But um Yeah, they threw in some quite cool topo navigation uh, this year. Just a, a little a little mini Rogaine. So yeah, hopefully that's a sign of things to come as well then. I think people with a kind of skill set like yours become suddenly really valuable when you've got to do just a, a few control points in native forest at night time yeah.
1: <laughs> it's i, I think the the really cool thing about um, the the after work row gains in Wellington now is they're they're huge um, the the amount of people turning up to them um, is getting bigger every time um, and um from um, experienced navigators to people just wanting to get a taste for it um, and it's it's very welcoming um, I think I'd only been doing row games for um, a year when, when I was asked to plan one and um, so it's it's cool because um, the people doing them put back into um, the community um, and you, you actually realize when, when you start planning planning one how much work goes into it and so it opens your eyes to what what the people um before you have done
0: yeah we noticed the same thing in auckland uh, just the explosion of these kind of low barrier to entry row gains um yeah a lot of the time in auckland we're using the maps we would use for orienteering, but just using them again as as a row gain. so it's exactly the same map but it it, it does bring a, a different, different crowd. And you get all these people who, are uh, um, maybe find orientarian a bit alien or yeah, just a bit different, but then, uh, they come from Rogaining and they, they bring the family, bring the dogs and, um, it's, it's yeah, so good for, for getting people, uh, just into some, some navigation and exposing them to that challenge. So yeah, I think we're seeing, seeing the growth there just, all over new zealand so yeah bring it on it's it's so fun to see 250 people just all, all get together after work and just go just go nuts the the locals must be real surprised about what i don't know Or the torches on.
1: bobbing around especially the nighttime yeah. ones yeah I, I think it's it's cool and and that it's um kind of bringing back what was a bit of a dying art as well with um map reading and and compass stuff like as as you say there's there was a small um reasonably small um orienteering community um that, that's been going strong for forever but um just bringing that um that navigation the map and compass navigation back into the mainstream as well um because yeah. yeah the
0: orienteering community tends to end up being a little bit um Insular and maybe a bit culty for some people, yeah. <laughs> but uh, Cults are good yeah, yeah, <laughs> the good, good ones, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 no, we love it, but um, it's yeah, the if there's if there's a way to to bridge those two worlds and um, get get more people uh, involved, especially as Rogaining just lends itself to being so social because everyone starts together and finishes together, and you can all have have a moan together at the finish, um, about what you did wrong, so. Yeah. So what other adventures do you have uh planned for the next Wee Whale?
1: Oh at the moment I'm not sure. Just uh e- earlier on this year, um I had pro- probably one of the, the bigger adventures that um that I've taken on um with with a friend of mine, Greg Clark. Uh we we had a go at um Doing the four peaks, so the the basic idea was to, um, in winter, uh, summit the the three uh, central plateau volcanoes, um, as a traverse from Tura, uh, to Mangatapopo. um, and so. We, we saw a big, big weather window. It actually turned out to be um, one of the most intense highs that they'd had in years, um, which was great during the day, um, not a breath of wind. And so um, there was 15 hours um, taking those peaks off. Um, and then um, we, uh, the, the, the next part of the challenge was to ride our way across to Taranaki, um, via the Forgotten Highway, uh, Forgotten World Highway, which um, <laughs> is the name for good reason. We we discovered. I I, I think I'd driven through there years beforehand with my old man, but you you don't really pay too much attention when you're in a car. Um, but the uh, the the downside to this giant big high was um, the the bitterly cold night that it brought down on us. So we we got going on the bikes about 9 o'clock at night. Um, The idea was to basically do it all as a single push. Um, And so I think we'd started maybe uh, 6.30 um, in the morning doing the the mountains, got onto the bike at 9 o'clock at night. And um, then it's a little over 250-something K of... um, very undulating <laughs> country, um, and it was all in a in a wetting, wetting mist, a freezing wetting mist. So I think it was five, uh, minus four degrees when we left Mangatapopo, um, and creating your own wind um, brought that that wind chill um, down even further. Um, and so we had black ice all the way um, through the night um, on and off on all the corners. I, I only dropped my bike once, <laughs> but it was um, it was pretty hairy on the downhills.
0: Um, yeah, just to feel that slight slip of the front wheel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just when you go over a little bit of ice. Oh. When you're going
1: 40-something K an hour. <laughs> yeah, p- puckering. <laughs> um, and, and so that was... Um, it was it was like going into a twilight land. Uh, we it was um yeah basically all the way through the night you couldn't see more than a, a couple of hundred meters ahead of you because of this this fog. Um, everything was wet. Um, everything was cold, and um, we arrived. Uh, we got dawn just after Um My old man had um, had. Parked up in his car, um, they did him him and a friend Mark Airfield, um, had had um basically helped us with the bikes, meeting us at Mangatapopo, and and Dad had driven through the Lost Highway and had a had a nap at Fongamomona, and so we we filled up with warm food there and um, struck dawn, just just after Fongamomona climbed up out of there and eventually saw Taranaki um peek over one of these farm hills. Um, on, on the other side of um, the, the the hills and we got into Stratford around about 10 o'clock um, so we'd been going for well over 24 hours at that stage and um, through the night we'd started hallucinating I, I saw an old um, Māori kuia um, at the top of one of these big climbs out of Fungumamana, uh, just standing off the side of the road and in, in the bush, looking down at me, um, <laughs> really spooky. And got up closer, and it was just a, a, a dead fanger. <laughs> I think that, uh, Greg Greg saw a whole lot of uh, um, rabbits all over the road, and it turned out that um, dead dead rabbits. And it turned out all the dead rabbits were just potholes. And, you know, I think we saw a road crew at about uh, two o'clock in the morning waving us through in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> there was a couple of couple of cones at the side of the road, <laughs> and so we we got to yeah. I think I think it must have been about ten thirty when we got to Stratford. and We still had a big ride up to the um the road end, the ski field on the eastern side or northeastern side of. Mount um, Taranaki and we figured this was probably still another couple of hours and um, it was it was a really hard call because um, we'd come so far but um, we did the maths and worked out that uh, we'd, we'd probably end up coming down the mountain in the dark um, and Taranaki's Fairly notorious for the the weather closing in and everything freezing um, on on dark um, and in the state that we we're in, we just we, we decided that we we're probably going to be a liability to ourselves um, being up doing um, fairly technical climbing um, on on the mountain and so um, yeah we we made the call to um, basically uh, turn turn it into a mountains to sea. And carried on out to the New Plymouth Coast and dipped the feet in the in the ocean. Um, having come come from the the middle of the country out out to the out to the sea, so it was it was pretty rewarding. But it, it also feels like there's a bit of unfinished business there too.
0: Yeah, what's your mental state like, um, like emotional state, positive or negative, when you have pushed that hard? Um, the intensity is low, but You've got yourself into quite a state by the time you're hallucinating well, what's the kind of internal morale like at that stage
1: um yeah, usually pretty good like you the, 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 there's definitely dark patches that you go through i think that just the the complete draining of energy um and the lack of sleep um Sort of le- lets you go to dark places, but um, I'm generally pretty positive on these on these missions. And um, the good thing when you go with a team is is with Greg, um, you both know that you work really well together. Um, he's he's just a really positive fella, and so you can see when when your partner's going through one of those moments, and um, so you can build them up, and and vice versa. Um but I think most most of the time it's it's pretty easy to remind yourself that you're doing something that you set out wanting to do, and you're really <laughs> you're really lucky to be doing it like um, to, to be able to um, do these things in the um, in, in the wilderness that we've got here is pretty amazing. So it's pretty easy to um, find the silver linings even of those those uh, darker darker parts of of the adventures
0: yeah I think I think that definitely fits my experience of the times when I've had the worst emotional time has been very inward focused and it just tends to be a lot of more disappointment about not meeting kind of performance expectations or or something like that Um, and yeah the times when for whatever reason it's been more outward focused um, there's just so much to enjoy on a lot of these uh, missions or races yeah i've definitely noticed that 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 can sway just um how, yeah whether i'm having a, a good time or or a bad time but i've never pushed anything as as long as you have by nowhere close to as, as far as you guys have pushed it so yeah i still still wonder i'm still keen to maybe do a god at some stage just to you know just to give it a push but um that will be interesting to see yeah what that state is light and whether it's just like oh i'm so tired this is hilarious or whether like you're actually suffering at an emotional level yeah yet to be yet to be seen for me
1: absolutely and i, I think until you take yourself there you don't know how it's how it's gonna how it's gonna play out um but i think it's we're, we're pretty resilient eh, as as humans and and so um even, even when you're you're start plumbing those depths it's um you you can find tricks of getting yourself out of them and and it's basically um fit for me it's it's just giving yourself that next thing to work towards um maybe, maybe a little treat or something like that along the way it's just little things
0: cool cool well i'm off to uh the kind of featherston we might uh go camp at jumbo holdsworth uh on the weekend um that campsite near there, and I will spare a thought for all those who have attempted and either failed or succeeded to take on an SK or any similar mission in our, our wonderful hills. So, thanks a lot, Tim, for sharing those stories of your your adventures. Um, I'm sure a lot of people find it really interesting and, and motivating. There's a lot of people moving into the scene, and a lot of people always keen to do a personal best. So, yeah, it's great to hear from someone who's, you know, out there um, leading the pack and uh, getting, getting everyone hyped.
1: Awesome, man. I've, I've enjoyed the chat. It's not often I get to talk yeah. about it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, cool. And I hope one day we can meet in person sometime soon.
1: Yeah, let's go, running.
0: Yeah, let's do it. Cool. Thanks, Tim. If you're enjoying the Perfect Flow podcast, And want more value from it in the future there are some ways you can support it the first is to rate or leave a positive review on itunes spotify google Podcasts, stitcher or other platforms where it's available the second is to share this podcast or specific episodes on social media or with friends the third is to get involved more directly through the perfect flow page on facebook where i'm trying to construct a more interactive community i want perfect flow to belong to the listeners And if you tell me what topics you're most interested in, or even suggest specific guests, I'll do my best to make it happen. This is your opportunity to be part of something that answers your questions and adds value to your life. Another good reason to follow Perfect Flow on Facebook is that I post links to episodes, blog posts, and anything I find useful to this page. It's a great way to follow my training, racing, and learning. Another great way to stay engaged is to subscribe to GeneBeverage.NZ. This way you will get podcasts and blogs emailed to you, avoiding the clutter of Facebook. I don't know where this project will take us, but the reception so far has been positive. Who knows where we might be in a few years.